evidence and answers. Russia has been in the news a lot lately. Muscle flexing has been prevalent. What does this tell us about dealings in the Middle East? And what do we know of Russia in biblical prophecy? You're tuned to Evidence and Answers with your host, Pat Zukran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the arena of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Today in our broadcast, Pat and his special guest, pastor and author, Mark Hitchcock, discuss Russia and its role in biblical prophecy. If you are unable to hear this entire broadcast, all of our messages are available on our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Now here's our host, Dr. Pat Zukran, along with Dr. Mark Hitchcock with part one of Russia Rising. You're listening to Evidence and Answers, where we provide compelling evidence for faith and hope in Christ and biblical answers to the challenges of today. Well, the bear has returned. After the fall of the Soviet Union in 91, the Russian bear has arisen once again as a world power and is exerting her might in the world today. Does the rise of Russia and the events in the Middle East have any relevance to Bible prophecy? Well, to help us address that issue is Bible prophecy expert Dr. Mark Hitchcock. He's a leading Bible prophecy scholar, a prolific author who has written over 20 books on the end times. Any book written by uh, Dr. Hitchcock you'll want to get. He is the senior pastor of Faith Bible Church there in Oklahoma and an adjunct faculty member of Dallas Theological Seminary where he earned his doctorate. So Mark, welcome back to Evidence and Answers. Well, thanks for having me again. It's great to be back with you. Yeah, always good to have you on the radio show. Even better to have you here in Hawaii. So we hope to get you yeah. back here again sometime. Well, that's good. You don't. Uh, you probably won't have to ask me twice. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Mark, you got a new book out here called Russia Rising. And before we get into that, let's talk a little bit about interpreting Bible prophecy. What is the proper approach to interpreting Bible prophecy. There are those who interpret it allegorically and others who say, no, they take too much of what's called a hyper-literal approach. What is the proper approach when interpreting Bible prophecy? Well, really, we interpret Bible prophecy just like we do the rest of the Bible. You know, I think a lot of people, when they come to the topic of Bible prophecy or what's called eschatology, they think they have to kind of come with a different principle of interpretation. But we interpret it just like we do the rest of the Bible. We use what's called the literal interpretation of the Bible, or some people use the word normal interpretation. Obviously, in Bible prophecy, there is a lot of symbolism that's used, especially like in the book of Revelation. But just because symbolic language is used, it doesn't mean that the symbol is kind of a symbol of nothing. When a symbol is used, it's a symbol of something that's literal. And so we're trying to find out what does this symbol refer to. And really, when you study uh, Bible prophecy, you find that many, many times, especially in the book of Revelation, there's kind of what I call a built-in interpretation. In other words, right in the immediate context, it'll tell you what that symbol refers to. So I think when we see time periods in Bible prophecy, uh, numbers that are used, names that are used, unless there's something in the context that tells us to take it other than literally, then uh, we take it literally. And I think when we do that, it it gives us consistent understanding of the Bible and, and of what the Bible says about the future. Yeah, when we talk about, you know, literal interpretation, we interpret it in its context and its linguistic style. So when it's saying, you know, I saw something like a fiery mountain falling from the sky or like this, we know that he is trying to describe 
something that he sees there in this vision. Right, that's right. Like the word like, when we use that word, we call that a simile. We use that in language all the time. You know, we'll say, you know, when we're, we're telling someone about something that they don't know very much about, we might say it's like this, you know, to help them understand it. So that's part of language. That's part of, we use similes, we use metaphors, we use illustrations, we, we use hyperbole. You know, sometimes we exaggerate and the, the people we're talking to know we're exaggerating. So we use symbols. We use symbolism when we speak. We'll say, you know, my dog kicked the bucket last week or something like that. Well, everyone knows that's a figure of speech for, for the, my dog died. So the Bible, it, it's written like any other language or any other book, and, and you have certainly a lot of time covered in the Bible, so you have to go back into that time period and the best that we can understand how that language was being used at that particular time. But you know, when we get off into a real symbolic, uh, allegorical, uh, non-literal type of interpretation, part of the problem that is with that is, is you can kind of end up, you know, the old saying is you can make the Bible say whatever you want it to say, and to some degree, that's true. And, and you can really do that with anything if you don't tie it and if you don't tether it and moor it to the text and allow the text to tell us what it means rather than us imposing our meaning upon it. Yes, and then there is the other side. I think it's often called newspaper theology where people try to tie in current events too much with the symbols of Revelation. I mean, it, Every September, I think, around Rosh Hashanah, there's a preacher that comes out on one of our radio stations here predicting, oh, here it's coming, you know, it's the coming. There's a comet coming close to the earth. It's going to, you know, knock out electricity for three days and three nights, and we're going to be in darkness. Or, you know, Trump is the Antichrist, or Obama is the Antichrist. How do we protect from that kind of, I guess, newspaper theology? Well, you know, my way of thinking about that is, you know, we all, we, I think we do look at current events. I mean, I think there are discernible signs of the times, but we look at the signs of the times through the Bible. We don't look at the Bible through signs of the times. In other words, the Bible is our lens. It's what we look at things through. And we go to the Bible first, and we understand what the Bible says. And then if we look, you know, for instance, the Bible talks about a, a regathering of the Jewish people, you know, in, in, in the latter years, in the last days. And so we look today and we say, gosh, in 1948, that started happening. There were 6% of the Jews in the world there. Now almost 40% of them live there. That is a discernible time, a sign of the times. But people were saying that even long before Israel became a modern nation. So it's not something where we're just looking at that event, and then we go to the Bible to try to find something to support that. And I think it's just problematic as well when we look at you know, every time there's an earthquake or every time there's some event that everyone points to that of having some kind of great significance. We need to, to look at the Bible as a whole and the, the passages in their context and see these events and not name people and name places in certain events because uh, that are happening today because you know, I always like to say when someone says you know that the the Lord's coming back a certain date you can be sure that's not the date <laughs> uh, because people that right. claim to know when Jesus is coming claim to know something that Jesus even said when he was on earth he didn't even know so that's it's really the height of arrogance and folly to make those kinds of statements again to name certain people as the antichrist or uh, you know, to say, uh, you know, a certain event is going to take place and, and, you know, at a certain time that, that they know about. So, you know, there's no dates given to us in the Bible for any of these kinds of events uh, that, are, that are in the future. Um, we're to always be ready. We're always to be waiting and engaging in that kind of thing. Really, it, what it really does is gives the legitimate study of Bible prophecy kind of a black eye. 
Right. Yeah, that's a that's a good way to put it there. On your book here, Russia rising. So we're going to focus on Russia and the end of the age. But General Mattis called Russia the world's top threat. And what is Russia doing at this time that makes them top threat around the world? Well, I think it's interesting. You know, many people have said, you know, North Korea is kind of maybe the world's most urgent threat, you know, with what's going on over there. But that Russia is the greatest threat, kind of right. the long-term yeah. threat. And I think that's a good way to, uh, to put it. Certainly what's going on in North Korea is that there's an urgency to that. But uh, what we see with, with Russia, though, that, that's happening there is Russia is moving into the Middle East to increase its footprint there. Really, they're engaged in activities, military activities all over the world, but primarily they're moving into the Middle East. They've used this situation in Syria, the instability there and Bashar al-Assad's regime. And it's interesting, Iran with them, Iran and Russia, have kind of come and taken advantage of that instability to move troops in there, which well, I know we'll talk about this later, but that's a stunning thought that you have Russian-Iranian troops two nations mentioned in Ezekiel 38, and their troops now are right on Israel's northern border in Syria. Uh, so that's a, an, an incredible, you know, interesting thing that's happening. But, you know, you have with Russia today, of course, uh, you know, they're in the Ukraine. Uh, they're involved there. Uh, they're involved uh, meddling again a lot in Eastern Europe. They're, again, pushing very strongly into, into the Middle East. We see all the cyber terrorism. And I'm not an expert on politics. I don't want to get into this whole thing about the uh, Russian meddling in our elections. I'm not really sure what they did and didn't do, but it seems they did something. You know, they were involved somehow. And uh, they've been involved in other elections. In fact, I just read the other day they're involved in other, they think they're meddling in the elections in Italy that are coming up. They've been involved meddling in, in elections in France. So they're very involved in, in cyber terrorism which is uh, obviously a, a whole new element of, of terrorism and espionage that's out there. Um, of course, Russia has the most nuclear warheads of any nation in the world. A lot of people don't realize that. They have more than we do in America. Now, you know, that's not that significant because how many times can you blow up the world, I guess, you know. <laughs> but, right. but they have, you know, that, that they have a, 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 you know, a stunning nuclear arsenal. So with all of those things and really just the, the rise of Russia that we've seen under Vladimir Putin, it's gotten a lot of people's attention just in the political realm. But I think when you add in what I consider to be prophecies of Scripture that point toward that, I think it makes it even even more vivid and more important for us to understand. Yeah, you know, and Putin called, you know, the fall of the Soviet Empire in Eastern Europe, the great catastrophe, and there seems to be an obsession with him to rebuild the Russian Empire again. No, that's right. Yeah, he called, yeah, he said the, the fall of the Soviet Union was the greatest geopolitical disaster of the 20th century. And of course, that's saying something. There yeah. was you know, World War One, World War Two. Um, so yes, he sees the fall of the Soviet Union, you know, the, the breakup of the Soviet Union, and it broke up into 15 different countries then. Of course, Russia, the Russian Federation is still there, but they lost all of these uh, other nations that were part of the Soviet Union. And yeah, that's his goal really is to get the Soviet Union back together again in some way. And he's again threatened Eastern European nations, messing around over in the Ukraine. They've annexed Crimea. They've been involved in a lot of different places. So, you know, the Russian bear is on the prowl. It's come roaring out of hibernation. And again, I, I don't think that's an accident, but we can we can look at what's happening in our world today and we can see how it really does strikingly foreshadow some prophecies in the Bible. Yeah, you know, since Israel became a nation in 1948, you know, Russia has armed and financed 
the Islamic nations against Israel. I mean, almost every significant war from the Battle of Independence to the Six-Day War to the Battle of Yom Kippur and others, uh, they were largely financed and armed by, you know, the Russians. Why does Russia arm the enemies of Israel? Well, you know, when you look at Russia and any any nation, really, you know, nations act in their own interest. They act in their own political interest, their own national interest. And Russia wants to be a, a major player, always has wanted to be in the Middle East. And when you look at Israel, Israel's a, a tiny nation the size of New Jersey. You know, probably less than 10, about 10 million people, I think, live there, something somewhere around there, about 6 million Jews. I mean, it's a tiny nation. Well, you look around it, I mean, at the, the Arab nations that surround it. Of course, uh, Iran is not an Arab nation. It's, they speak a different language. They speak Farsi. But you look at all the Islamic enemies around Israel. I mean, it's, it's in the hundreds of millions of people uh, that surround them. So, when, you know, you've got Egypt, you've got Syria, you've got Iraq, you have Lebanon, you have Iran, you know, all these various nations. They want to have influence in, in all of these nations. And so since those nations hate Israel, Russia has, has decided to get on that side, at least in the past they always have, to support those various nations in their wars against Israel. So, you know, I think it's probably just something that, that at least from the human perspective, they're just acting in their own national interest and in trying to curry favor with as many of those Arab nations and Islamic nations as they can. Oh, so it's, it's not a hate for Israel like these nations have. It's more of trying to influence and ally with these nations. I think that's what it is. I think the other thing is is that you know the 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 enemy of the Soviet Union throughout, you know, since since the the founding of the Soviet Union, certainly since the late 40s after World War II has been the US. So anything that they can do also that's kind of a thorn in our side or that causes the US, you know, consternation or problems, mm. um also is uh, something that they want to be involved in and the US has always been a strong and a staunch ally ever since the founding of Israel in 1948. We've been a staunch ally of the Jewish state, of the nation of Israel. And so, you know, as a counterbalance to that, I think, you know, Russia has chosen to uh, to go on the other side. I mean, you know, there's a sense in which whatever we do, they want to be against that because uh, they're basically, uh, you know, an, an enemy of the United States. Now, whether that's always proclaimed or professed or not, uh, that's certainly the way it's been. And we see that even with China today as well. Yeah, North Korea. They're just trying to do yeah. what they can to cause problems for us. You know, there's a lot of things that both Russia and China could do to help us out greatly, and a lot of other nations. But again, they act in their own national interest, and uh, you know, they do what they think helps them. And of course, they don't. They don't care about us. But that's a lot of it. They they want to be against us by supporting these nations. They're against us, but they also just really do increase their own leverage and their own power in the Middle East. Now, you know, at this time that we're speaking. We are seeing a strong alliance with Russia, Iran, and Syria. Now, why yes. have, you know, at this time, why have they chosen to make that alliance with these two countries here? Well, I think, again, Russia is just always on the lookout for opportunity, I think. That's what they're looking for. They're looking for footholds, you know, where they can grab places and increase their influence. And the situation in Syria, where, again, you have Bashar al-Assad, who's the ruler there, there was a civil war that took place, you have the rise of ISIS and all these various things, all just massive instability within Syria. Assad, of course, very concerned that his regime would fall. So Russia uses that as an opportunity to come in to Syria. You know, under this guise, they're going to help help Assad and, and get rid of ISIS. And, all that. and they have done some 
destruction of ISIS there as well. But same with Iran. You know, Iran wants basically a Shiite crescent all the way from Iran to the Mediterranean. Of course, they're in it. They have their own country in Iran. They want to go through Iraq, which is a, a majority Shiite nation as well. A lot of people don't realize that there's you know two kinds of Muslim, Sunni and Shiite. And then they want to go uh, up through Lebanon and through Syria, all the way to the Mediterranean. So, again, they, they each kind of act in their own national interest. Iran wants a, a Shiite crescent from Iran to Iraq to Lebanon up through Syria. Russia is looking at this as an opportunity to, to gain a, a greater foothold down into the Middle East. So both of these nations have seized this opportunity to come there. They want to be players as well. They want to have a voice in what's going on in the Middle East. And so now anytime the U.S. wants to do anything, we're kind of dependent on those nations now to try to bring some kind of resolution to what's happening in Syria. So you know, it makes them key players there, and we're, and we're dependent on them now in the Middle East in many ways. Yeah, it seems like there's an obsession by Putin to rebuild the Soviet Empire, and there's an uh, obsession by Iran to rebuild the Persian Empire there. So you got these two guys going at it for control of the Middle East. Well, that's right, and it, it really is fascinating to me when you think about it. You have Russia, who had you know the Soviet Union. You have Persia, that had a great the great Persian Empire, which it fell a long time ago. But you also another one of the key players over there today is Turkey which had the great Ottoman Empire, which just fell in 1917 and ended. So it's kind of like all of these key players over there are players that had you know, great empires at one time that have fallen apart that are kind of trying to, to relive the glory days. And you know, the, the president of Turkey, Erdogan, you know, basically wants to bring back the Ottoman Turkish Empire as well. So there's a lot of, of, a lot of players over there vying uh, for power over there in, in the Middle East. And of course, down in the center of all that, you have the little tiny nation of Israel um, that's significant to God and to, to the future, really, of the entire world. Yeah, and it's interesting that this tiny little nation here, when the Soviet Union and these Islamic nations own vast territory, most of the territories there in, in Asia and Africa, yet they're focusing on this tiny little nation of Israel, about the size of what, New Jersey, Massachusetts, yeah, maybe? That's right. Yeah, no, it's fascinating. It is. I mean, and I think, you know, behind all of that is really it's a satanic conspiracy because, you know, obviously Satan knows about the prophecies of the Bible. I mean, he knew about the prophecy in Genesis 3.15 that this uh, Messiah, this, this one who would crush his head, would come from the seed of the woman. And he knows that he's going to come from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So he tried to keep Jesus from being born. When he was born, he tried to kill him. Uh, he did, you know, manage to caused the nations to turn and to crucify the Messiah. Jesus came back to life. And so now Satan's goal, I believe, is to wipe out the Jewish people, you know, to get rid of the people that the Messiah is to come and rule over. And so, I mean, I think there's a lot of natural reasons why many of these people hate the Jewish people. But behind all of that, I believe, is, is the deception of Satan, who's causing these nations to have an even greater hatred for Israel to want to wipe them out. So it's something that's even behind the scene of the politics that we see in our world today, I think that's driving a lot of this. Yes. Well, Mark, you know, do the events today involving Russia, Iran, Turkey, Syria, they have any connection with Bible prophecy? Well, I believe they do. And again, we started this out, our, our time, by saying, you know, we look at the Bible, and then we, we look at current events. We don't do it the other way around. And to me, I think the biblical entry point for any discussion of Russia in, the, in Bible prophecy is Ezekiel 38 and 39. There, there are two chapters there in the book of Ezekiel, two long chapters that uh, were written about 2,500 years ago 
by the prophet Ezekiel, a Jewish prophet, uh, in, in Babylon. He was in captivity there. And uh, he talks about an invasion of the land of Israel in the end times, in the latter years, he calls it, in the last days, when the Jewish people have been regathered uh, to their land. And, of course, uh, we see that that's happened. I mean, the, the, that one, pre, the, one of the preconditions for this invasion by Russia and these Islamic nations into the land of Israel has happened. That is, they're regathered to their land. And it also tells us that they're, they're going to be prosperous, the Jewish people will be in their land. And, and we see that today as well. They're uh, the most prosperous nation, really, in that part of the world. And so it tells us when they're regathered there that Russia and a group of her allies will, will invade Israel. And when you read Ezekiel 38... Verses 1 through 6, it lists for us their ten proper names of places back in that, that existed in Ezekiel's day that are going to invade Israel. Now, the first name that's mentioned is Gog, and Gog is the leader of the invasion because it, it refers to Gog as a person. And I don't think the person's name literally will be Gog, but the word Gog, some take, take that it means darkness. Um, it can mean maybe exalted or a mountain, so it speaks of, of darkness or maybe pride. But this person will lead this invasion. It says Gog is of the land of Magog, and he's the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal. And so what, what we do is we want to go and look and say, okay, if this is going to be in the end of days, when Israel's been regathered to her land, where are these ancient places that, that Ezekiel mentions? Where are those places today? And that when we go and find the, the modern counterparts to these ancient places that were named, we find out that Rosh there is Russia. Some believe Magog is Russia as well. We have Persia mentioned in that passage, which is modern-day Iran. We have Meshach and Tubal and Gomer and Togarma, which, were in, which are in modern-day Turkey. Uh, we have Put mentioned, which is in modern-day uh, the modern-day nation of, uh, of Libya. We have Kush mentioned, modern-day Sudan. So these nations that surround Israel that are all Islamic nations other than Israel, many of those places are mentioned there in this passage of Scripture. So, you know, we look at this and we say, you know, Ezekiel told us that Israel would be regathered. That's happened. Told us they'd be prosperous. We see that that's happened. He says when that is going on, this group of nations is going to swoop down into Israel to come down there to conquer them, to wipe them off the face of the earth. And so we look around today and we see not the fulfillment yet of this prophecy, but we see what I call the stage being set for this, or we see the foreshadows of the fulfillment of this prophecy really in our world today. Yeah, the Ezekiel 38:39, often called the Battle of Gog and Magog. You know, if Magog is Russia and Gog is the leader, then it's a Russian-led Islamic coalition invading the nation of Israel, which is very plausible because that's what we've had in the past several decades. That's right. Yeah, you know, it, it started really, as you said, back in the 1960s, probably even earlier than that in the 50s with Egypt and, and, and the Soviet Union. Uh, yeah, that's what we've had. And so it's, it's a very plausible scenario that when we look at our world today, and again, you look at Russia, you look at Turkey, which has turned much more to the east now. They've turned away. They're, they're not going to get in the EU. They've been turned away basically in that. Uh, you have Iran, which is you know the number one sponsor of terror in the world today. You know, they're working to cross the nuclear finish line. You know, we have this nuclear agreement with Iran, but, you know, that's a, a very precarious agreement that, you know, who knows what's going on behind closed doors and could be broken at any time. So, you know, we see these places that really many of these nations are some of the arch enemies of, of the nation of Israel, and then Russia there kind of sitting to the north, the, the, the great bear that can enter into this and help as well. It's fascinating when you look at that and think, think about how all of these nations are in the news today 
and uh, really they're forming alliances with one another. So, it, it, you know, it's not far-fetched to look at our world today and, got, and say, you know, we see how this could develop you know, the very near future and how this invasion could come to fulfillment. Yes. Now, there are some Bible scholars who believe that this battle of Ezekiel 38 and 39 has already taken place. You know, some mm-hmm. would say, well, during the, the Babylonian invasion or the Greek invasion. If so, when do they think this battle did take place? And why do, you know, we believe that it has not taken place yet, that it's future? Well, that's a good question. Yeah, there's a lot of people that, that uh, see this as already having occurred. One of the reasons they say that is because when you read in Ezekiel 38, it talks about the weapons they'll use in the battle, and it talks about swords and spears and shields and, and horses and things like that. Once again, our time has come to a close. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast. We hope you enjoyed Pat's show today. If you would like Pat to speak at your church or Bible study, or perhaps hold an apologetics conference, please call 808-483-0586 or contact him through the Evidence and Answers website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Evidence and Answers relies on generous support from you, our listeners. To keep this broadcast on the air, you have the opportunity to donate. Head on over to our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. You may do so right there online on the homepage. We have a wide variety of resources available to you, everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism, including articles, additional audio for you to listen to or download, as well as Pat's books. So be sure to share our website with your family, your friends, and your church. Evidence and Answers is grateful for our key sponsor, Highland Capital Management, providing investors with alternative investment solutions. To learn more, Visit them online at hcmlp.com. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide reasons for faith and hope in Christ right here on Evidence and Answers.